0: And welcome in everyone, another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. I'm Steve Cashel, Chicago Bulls radio host. So happy to be joined this week by Dr. Chuck Bush-Joseph. He is one of the Chicago White Sox, Chicago Bulls team physicians. He was the head team physician for the White Sox for 15 years. Sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest, orthopedics at Rush. Subbing this week for my usual co-host, Dr. Brian Cole. Dr. Chuck, how are you?
1: I'm great, Steve. Happy to be here this morning.
0: Oh, we're going to start it off this morning talking about something really interesting, sports science. And it's amazing how far it's come, right? It is a science now. It,
1: It is a science, Steve. Now, you know, in the old days, we thought it was just training and heart and hard work. There's so much more to it. And I think as our next guest is going to tell us, you know, there's a lot more data that we can get that can help our athletes get to their max.
0: Well, our next topic is, uh, first topic of the show, Gatorade's contribution to sports nutrition consulting and sweat testing. They sent me a video on this. It was really interesting. They're working with the Windy City Bulls. And uh, let's bring on Linda Samuels with Gatorade Sports Science Institute. And Linda, thanks for joining us. Uh, Let's get right into it. What is a sweat analysis test, and why are we performing this on uh, elite athletes?
2: Well, the, the reason why we would want to conduct these tests on athletes is it really gives them insight as to how their bodies function during intense exercise and how um, fluids and carbohydrates and electrolytes can really contribute, um, or, or the lack of the fluid, uh, um, carbohydrates and electrolytes, can contribute to their fatigue. And so once we get, get the data from the sweat testing, they can help to um, really uh, learn how uh, it can correct symptoms and increase their performance and all types of, um, of their performance indicators like sprint time and how long it takes to get across court, their shot success, and all types of indicators.
1: You know, Linda, can you help our audience? I, I think who's your best clients And, and when, you know, when we're talking about elite-level athletes? Is it that older athlete that's sort of looking for every edge, uh, or is it, are younger athletes more aware of these facts, and are they more receptive to the information you can give them?
2: Well, in my experience, at every level, whether it's a young kid in high school or even in middle school, all the way up to professional level, because I work with all of those types of athletes, once they really um, understand what their sweat really, how it contributes to their performance and how they feel, Um, once they understand that if they are hydrating properly and providing enough carbohydrates and and electrolytes and how it benefits their performance, they are all in. Um, Because a lot of athletes uh, are typically chronically dehydrated because they sweat a lot and they're not taking in adequate um, hydration. So once they start practicing good hydration, they feel the difference and they're really highly motivated to keep up with it. And that's what GSSI is doing with these um, professional
1: athletes, Linda, can you just just tell our audience briefly how is the test administered? I mean, are you just sampling at different phases?
2: Yeah, so what happens is we put a patch on their arm and that will help us give a a sampling of the amount of fluid loss and also um, sodium in the sweat. And we can analyze that. And we also monitor how much fluid and what type of fluid that they take in during the the testing period. So then from from that, we can determine how much um, fluid they've lost how much sodium is in that sweat, and if they're taking in adequate carbohydrate to fuel the type of intense exercise that they're um, doing. And so with that, then we can plan an individualized uh, recommendation for them, and so they can go forward and practice better hydration and fueling.
0: Visiting with Linda Samuels from Gatorade Sports Science Institute. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph. Subbing this week for Dr. Brian Cole. Our show is Sports Medicine Weekly here on 670. The score, we're talking about Gatorade's contribution to sports nutrition, consulting, and sweat testing, why sweat testing matters, and what the players in the league are getting out of it. Uh, Let me ask you, what is physically considered, uh, Linda, a a state of dehydration?
2: So, um actually varies with with different types of athletes again kind of like i mentioned very highly trained athletes professional athletes they're kind of used to be chronically dehydrated and um so they don't really understand sometimes how it does affect their energy levels and also their um focus ability. And so once um, we show them how dehydrated they actually are, and they um, switch and use better hydration um, during practice, and they start to feel different, it's amazing. Athletes come up to me all the time afterwards and say, oh my goodness, I feel so much better now that I'm hydrating properly and getting enough carbs and um, increasing the amount of sodium that they're taking in. So they can really feel the difference that they were unable to feel before.
0: Great stuff, Linda. Uh, Appreciate everything you and Gatorade are doing. It's great to be a part here of Sports Medicine Weekly and uh, continued success with uh, what you're doing with sports science.
2: Thanks so much.
0: And our next guest here on Sports Medicine Weekly is one of our favorites. Nobody does it like Karen Malkin. Karen is a board-certified health coach and environmental toxin specialist. How are you, Karen Malkin?
3: I am doing well. Thank you. Happy New Year.
0: Yeah. First time we've had you on for 2019, and Karen was one of our staples on Sports Medicine Weekly. has been so helpful throughout the years and always one of our, our great guests, a must-listen-to uh, person on our show. And uh, the topic uh, for this show, Karen, uh, your best tips to naturally detox your body with real food lifestyle strategies. What comes to mind?
3: So I love this. Because there's so many detoxes and cleanses out there, and and I have one, two, I have three of them actually. It's a slow, slow 14 day transformation. But you know, your body really does a pretty good job of cleansing and detoxifying itself, if only given the chance. And so the first step is to avoid putting toxins in your body. Um, You know, so proper nutrition, exercise for heart health to maintain a healthy weight, sweating, which sends toxins through your largest organ, which is your skin. So exercising, drinking plenty of filtered water to support the kidneys to increase that urinary output, and then lots of fiber to increase elimination. And then the dark leafy greens, which I'm always you know, encouraging people to eat, that really helps support your liver. And so that's a great way to naturally detoxify your body.
0: Karen, uh, specifically, how do we incorporate a detox strategy into the diet?
3: So if if we're, let's talk life let's talk simple strategies for a healthy lifestyle to naturally detox your body and so you know let's personal care products the average i think the average male might put, might put on about 16 personal care pro, hair products a day that's shampoos conditioners colognes aftershaves moisturizers and those personal care products often contain chemicals that aren't healthy for us and you know, the first thing is I recommend is for people to ditch the fragrances because those fragrances contain phthalates. And um, and phthalates bind the fragrances, to get fragrances together, and those are endocrine-disrupting chemicals. And we don't want that. It, it disrupts thyroid. It also affects estrogen and, you know, could cause man boobs in, in, in for men.
0: Well, we don't so, want that. So you know,
3: for, for personal care products, I really first encourage people to ditch the fragrances and read their labels.
0: And where do we where do we find those then? I mean, where do well, we shop, and where do we can can we buy that uh, in a store that we normally go to?
3: So believe it or not, um, in addition to your natural food stores and Whole Foods, the Environmental Working Group (EWG) org has. Um, a database called skin deep and Skin what they do is you you can take a product you could be at your you know walgreens or jewel and, and you could bar scan these products and ewg will give it a safety rating uh, levels from one through four and so you can really make educated decisions as a consumer and also some of these big companies are becoming are having their products rated to be ewg verified and ewg approved to that that those products do not contain you know certain chemical toxins that um, they they are the 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 chemicals of concern they, they call it so there's a lot you can do as a consumer check out environmental working group ewg's website get on skin deep you can put the app on your phone For cleaning supplies, I recommend making yourself a bottle of water and vinegar to replace Windex. You can put a couple drops of essential oil. You can smell like lavender or, you know, any of your favorite essential oils. You can, instead of like a comet or a scrub, you can use baking soda. You can avoid oven cleaners by making a paste of baking soda with a little bit of water. Leave it on for six hours. It wipes off beautifully, so it saves money and it's not toxic.
0: Karen, what about when when I'm reading about detoxing your body or I'm thinking about it, um, you know, can you do it then with real food? Because most people probably think about just don't eat and I'm just going to have have liquids for 12 hours. Right, like I'll do a
3: juice bath, water, cleanse. What do you think of that? Well, I think, you know, there's a a purpose for that. I don't think it's for everybody. Um, I prefer real food, whole foods, and creating healthy habits with, with organic foods, you know, checking out the Dirty Dozen, Clean 15, um, and, again, the Environmental Working Group, and really paying, paying attention to buying organic and avoiding pesticides. But some of these juice cleanses, you know, basically give your digestion a rest, but there's no fiber. So, um, you know, I, I think they could be good for certain conditions.
1: Visit
0: with Karen Malkin, board-certified health coach and environmental toxin specialist. I'm Steve Cashel and it's Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Are these tips that you're talking about incorporating into your 14-day transformation program?
3: Yeah, so I have three of them. Um, you and Dr. Carl have done, I think, the first two. Right. But I don't think you've tried my toxin takedown program. And no. that is the food is the same. We're still eliminating gluten, dairy, sugar. People lose weight. They feel great. But each day I give you one small Thing you can do to help reduce your toxic body burden such as you know drinking filtered water and why and I give you um, a lot of resources and we talk about believe it or not house plants um, the EPA currently ranks indoor air pollution as one of the top five threats to public health so getting house plants really improves the quality of the air that we're breathing by removing like these toxic gases, VLCs, toluene and and, and just removing your shoes before you enter the house is a huge upgrade to help reduce your toxic load, so that you don't ingest those toxins. So yeah, so I give you tips each day, one tip you can do that's really simple strategies, and by the end of the 14 days, you are um, you're really a lot um, cleaner.
0: Everything's on the website, correct?
3: Yes, it's all on my website, KarenWalkin.com, and and the best part about Toxin Takedown is I am donating 100%. Of the profits to the environmental working group this is how passionate i am about environmental health and how we can really really with small changes you know open big doors and create big changes and huge health upgrades
0: great stuff karen thanks so much for joining us thanks for having me karen Mulkin, board certified health coach and environmental toxin specialist karenmalkin.com is the website up next, our Ask the Doctor segment. Stay with us at Sports Medicine Weekly, only on the 670 The Score. Back on Sports Medicine Weekly and net proceeds from our show, Sports Medicine Weekly, go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the liveactivenow.org fund. I'm Steve Cashel, and filling in this week, my co-host, Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph. He is one of the team physicians for the Chicago White Sox and Chicago Bulls, sports medicine specialist, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, orthopedic surgeon, and filling in this week for my usual co-host, Dr. Brian Cole. And Dr. Chuck, um, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, You guys are the head team physicians for the DePaul Blue Demons, aren't you, for Midwest Orthopedics at Rush?
1: We have been doing that for many years. It's a lot of fun. You know, we take care of a lot of professional athletes, uh, Dr. Cole and myself. We've been taking care of the Bulls and the, and the White Sox and the Chicago Fire for many years. But uh, taking care of college athletes, especially, you know, at a school like DePaul, is, I'll be honest with you, those are the funnest athletes I enjoy taking care of. Why is that? Of. You know, none of them are going pro afterwards. Uh, you know, they're, they're kids who are excited. They're playing a sport for the most part because they enjoy it and they love it or because it provided them with an opportunity to get a, a, a college education where maybe they didn't have that opportunity. Uh, but you know, the majority of time, this is the this is the, their final competitive years, so they want to enjoy it to the best they can.
0: Yeah, so they have let's say a full month of the season left, all of February, and then tournament time whether they go and get into the ncaa tournament or the nit or the other tournaments that are out there they seem like there's a new one every year just trying to get teams involved but you know what's it like for a college athlete and uh... probably the most games these guys some of these guys—have ever played right
1: yeah you know especially when you got a young team like the paul dave has done a great job of developing DePaul's had a lot of lean years, but certainly we feel a lot better this year as, as a team. You know, they're playing well in the Big East. They have do have a great opportunity to get into one of the postseason tournaments after the Big East tournament. But those guys, like our pros, are wearing down. They're younger kids. Or, you know, they're 19, 20 at most in many instances. And they, they're not used to that overuse, you know, where their knees are sore, but they want to keep playing, especially when you're having a good year. So we're seeing a lot of symptoms of tendonitis in the knee, Achilles tendonitis. IT band syndrome. Uh, In most instances, they want to play through, especially when they're having a good year. So our job is to keep them ready enough that they can still practice, you know, and do all the team development issues and still be effective enough during game game day situations.
0: You bring up an interesting word there, tendinitis. At what age might tendinitis set in? I mean, is it, I, I'm not thinking 19, 20 years old, but what's the youngest you've ever seen tendinitis? I'm always thinking for the older guys. I remember Scotty and Michael, you know, always uh, when they were playing for the Bulls, you know, they always wrapped their knees in ice on the bench. Once Phil called them off the floor and said, "We got this one in hand," and they had tendinitis. But I always thought they were in their 30s then. I mean, tell, tell me, tell us about
1: that. Well, there's two kinds of tendonitis. I think we see it in young kids, even, even our little leaguers, age 14, you know, 12, 13, 14. And in that situation, you've got a normal tendon that the young player is just using too much. They don't have the muscle strength to support or throw the baseball that much or throw a softball that many times. And the tendon just starts to fatigue. Unfortunately, in the older players, they actually have some intrinsic tendon damage where some of those fibers of collagen are starting to fail. And so, certainly by the time the players get to, you're in my age, I'm a little bit older than you, we've got a lot of fiber dan- fiber tendon damage, so we're going to break down even quicker. Uh, but so usually the young kids, that for them is just a matter of rest. For the middle or the later career athlete, for them, it's a matter of maintaining their body uh, flexibility and balance. And for old guys like you and me, it's just being careful we don't rupture something because you and I are the ones that are going to tear a tendon. Uh, whereas our pro athletes, it's actually quite rare for them to go on to a catastrophic tendon rupture when they've got tendinitis.
0: Don't confuse tendinitis with arthritis. Arthritis for the older people, right? Uh,
1: arthritis for the older people. But patients who have arthritis, like in arthritic knees, you know, it's amazing. Like a player like Dwayne Wade. Dwayne has, some, you know, Dwayne has some wear and tear on his knees and surprisingly did not have arthritic pain but would get secondary tendinitis pain. Uh, but nonetheless, well, I mean, his tendons were inflamed because they were trying to support and absorb the load instead of that shock going through the joint. Yeah. So so, uh, you know, Dwayne was superbly conditioned despite having, you know, quote, an arthritic knee. But every once in a while he needed days off times off because his patellar tendon or his hamstring tendons just couldn't take that repetitive overload.
0: Great stuff. Time now for our Ask the Doctor segment. It's a staple of the show. We do it every week here on Sports Medicine Weekly on 670 The Score. And it's very easy. Go to our homepage on our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com. On the right side, you'll see a picture of Dr. Cole and myself. Click on that link and you can ask the doctor a question. Got a couple of great questions here for you, Doc. First one is, How can I determine if my daughter or female athlete is at risk for a serious knee injury?
1: You know, Steve, this is actually a very important question, and I think one that unfortunately we have with great frequency. We know that young girls, especially uh, late junior high and high school girls, will tear their ACLs at a rate anywhere from 4 to 6, even sometimes 8 times that, of boys the same age. So there are some physical characteristics and and many of them are growth and development issues and they can be spotted typically by a professional, certainly a trainer or coaches have been properly schooled on this to recognize certain patterns in in young women that place them at greater risk. Number one, if they're knock-kneed. If a girl's got a little bit of wider hips and narrower knees and they're what we call knock-kneed and they don't have good hip strength, that's a high risk characteristic. Now, if you've got real concerns this is something where physical therapists and trainers now are very well experienced at, where they look at these ACL prevention programs, where they can identify these physical characteristics. Sometimes you can't see them visually. The obviously ones, like I said, like the narrow, you know, wide hips, narrow knees, um, or sometimes they're balanced, single-legged stance and balance on one leg. Those are obvious ones. But there are other ones that we can find out with a little bit more sophisticated testing, where a a functional sports analysis, and many therapy companies and trainer trainer uh, providers will do this, and they do a visual analysis either by videotape and tape specific measures and tell you what girls, where their deficits are, and who is indeed at greater risk. Now, the good thing about that, when you identify these risks, you can mitigate them, and so certainly coupled with these risks analysis, can you can get a, these prevention programs that specifically focus the, the muscle deficit, whether it be their hip abductor muscle or a groin muscle that can help lower that risk. Important question for parents to ask if they've got if they're nervous about their young daughter.
0: Okay, and uh, maybe one that relates to that next question from one of our listeners: What are the failure rates for the ACL after surgery?
1: Well, the failure rates kind of go along with the risks of tearing your ACL in the first place. So, uh, you know, the older the patient, the lower the re tear rate. The, higher, the lower the retail lower rates. the retail rate. Really? So yeah, somebody in their late 30s, early 40s, their retail rate should be really in that two to four percent. Wow. Whereas uh, the very young patients, and certainly the young, ad- young adolescent females, as we talked about earlier, they have potentially the highest retail rate anywhere from 10 to 15 percent in some rare studies as high as 20 percent. And so usually the same factors occur. So if I'm at high risk for tearing my ACL, I'm doing high risk sports and I've got muscle imbalances, I better have a really good rehab. And if my rehab's not good, I'm at much higher risk for re tear. Whereas in older older players, usually they can get away with it where they're functioning only about, say, 65, 70, or 75, 75% of their muscle strength in and, and their thigh and their hamstring and their hip muscle groups. Whereas a young adolescent female, we wanted them well over 80, 85% of muscle function or we think they are indeed higher risk for re Doc, what's a bigger
0: percentage? You're going to re the surgically repaired knee or the other knee that is perfectly healthy?
1: You know, Steve, there's a time frame on that. Certainly within the first year, the risk of re is higher on the operative knee. Once you get past that first year out, I've got a successful ACL reconstruction, I've returned to my sport and in my competitive situation, then really at about two or three or five years out, it's almost 50-50. Between re-injuring the surgical knee or re-injuring the other knee, and I was one of those people. I was a basketball ACL tear playing in my church league out in the western suburbs. Four years later, to the day, same league, re-tore my other knee.
0: Wow! And, or tore uh, your other knee? I,
1: I, right, tore the ACL in my other knee. So it ended up with a, uh, unfortunately a second surgery. So I, I I'm in that 10 to 12. I'm sorry, that 10 to 15 percent of patients who are in the bilateral ACL club. And, uh, you know, for those who get it a second time, it's very depressing because you just go, oh, not again. Uh, but at least the second patients who undergo the second surgery on their other leg get through the surgery a lot easier because they're unfortunately very experienced on how to get through the rehab.
0: That's what Jabari Parker said. He said, you know, after I had the second re-tear or the, the re we start that again. That's what Jabari Parker said, right, because he's had a double ACL tear. And he said after the first one, the second one was easy because I went through it once.
1: Yeah, you know, that fear of of what you're going through uh, is gone because you've got that experience. I mean, you know, we all like experience. And, and certainly when you experience medical care, even invasive medical care like a surgical procedure, um, you find it. really it's not as scary as what it is. And you understand the science behind it, and that helps you with your rehab and dealing with your therapists and trainers. Good stuff. Appreciate
0: it. We're out of time, Doc. Really appreciate you uh, filling in for Dr. Brian Cole and joining us this week. I enjoy it all the time. Thank you. Many thanks to our producer, Shane Reardon. Our coordinating producer is Teresa Ann Seeger. We also want to thank David Cole for managing our website and our business operations, as well as Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph, Filling in for Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on The Score. Up next on 670, The Score, early odds with Joe Ostrowski. Talk with you again next week. Have a great Saturday, everybody. So long.